0: So, kids, I, I have a question for you as we get started uh, this morning uh, in today's sermon, particularly probably some junior high and high schoolers and parents, if you kind of remember some of these, if it's been not too long ago for you. Um, I have a question. What are the best kind of tests? You know, you guys have finals coming up and everything. What are the best kind of tests that you get to take? Spelling, test. spelling tests. You like spelling tests, all right? Math, math tests. Math tests. Math tests. I... Was not always very good at math. What kind? Reading. reading tests. I do that one pretty good. Multiple choice tests. All right, we got a multiple choice. What's that? Open book, open book test. That's the answer I was actually looking for. Not the others are wrong. It's just that open book tests are the best because all the answers are right there. So forget multiple choice. If the answers are right there, or if you, if it's a reading test, but you have you know, or or spelling test, but all the words are there, that's easy. Right? If you have an open book test, whether it's history or math, all the answers are right there. I remember when I was in high school, and when they said it was an open book test, I'm going, what is the point of even having a test? Like, You, you really can't fail an open book. I mean, you could, you know, but you have to be really bad to fail an open book test. And so I always loved when the teacher would have an open book test if we were going to have to have a test, because all the answers are right there at your fingertips, uh, and when we think about, even as we look at the day Scripture, we're going to see this really particular role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. Uh, it's actually better than open book test. It's better than uh, being able to have all the answers. It's better than even, in some ways, it's better than even having a Bible always kind of toted around with you, where if you run into them, you can just kind of open up to the book. Uh, it's actually even... Better than that, because what happens with the Holy Spirit coming into our life, one of the job descriptions he has is to teach us all things and bring to remembrance everything that Jesus has taught us. That's the text we're going to see today. And when when you think about that, that his task, his role, if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, The job that he has inside of you is to bring to remembrance everything that Jesus taught. And that's similar to an open book test, but it's actually even better than that. Um, If you have, say, for instance, an open book test, um, it's one thing to have the book in front of you. and, And keep this in mind, too. We're not talking about history or math or reading or spelling. That's cool. But this is an open book test when it comes to how to live in godliness. An open book test when it comes to our character and salvation and eternity. The most important subjects that we could ever give ourselves to, far more important than reading and writing and uh, all those things. This is far more important than all of those things. And here, when we have an open book test, we have the book in front of us. But, but what happens when it comes to life and godliness because right now, we've, we've got the book in front of us, open book test right now. You can go, if I can say, well, what does the Bible say for this? You can just you can skim through. But what about the times when the book is not right in front of you? You know, I know you might say, well, I've got my phone, right? I know, but, but let's say your battery is dead, you know. You don't have the book in front of you. What if it's uh, an open book test at school, but you forgot to bring the book? Well, now you're like, well, now I, maybe I will actually fail this test. Or maybe when the test isn't actually an open book test. There's gonna be many times in life and in situations where we don't have the Bible right in front of us. Or maybe in a certain situation we don't know where that particular verse is or what it might be. So what happens when it's not an open book test when it comes to life and godliness and decision making? Forming our views, forming our beliefs. So you know what I think would be really cool? If your teacher Or even better yet, if the author of your history book or your math book was sitting right next to you in class, giving you all the answers. I forgot to bring my book today. Oh, that's okay, because the author of your math book is here, and he's going to sit right next to you, and he's going to give you all the answers. He's going to whisper them into your ear. That would be very cool. And the disciples had that. They had Jesus for three years. They sat with the author of the book and he taught them all these things, but then guess what? He went away. He left. Three years they have the author of the book sitting right next to them. We don't need an open book test because we've got the author, but then he says, I'm going away now and you can't go with me. And they're thinking, what are we gonna do now? How are we gonna remember all those three? Remember, they weren't sitting there writing things down really you know, taking notes. They don't have paper readily available like we did. They don't have devices that they're punching things in and they're not recording the audio of all the things. They have to go off of memory. And so for three years, he's saying, I'm going away now and they're going, what are we gonna do? We don't have, they didn't have a book yet. They had the Old Testament. They don't have a, a book yet. The New Testament hadn't been written. They're going off of memory. And they have to remember all these things and then he says to them, but guess what, I've, I've got some good news. I'm gonna send you a helper. And this helper is going to teach you all things and bring to remembrance everything that I've taught you the last three years. And he's not just gonna sit next to you like I am, so you have to actually be with him physically. you know, Because if, if there's only one of me and there's many of you, and there's gonna be many more of you, But this this helper, it's going to be even better than having, this is going to be for your benefit that I go away because now I'm going to send the author of the book, but guess what? The author of the book is actually going to live inside of you. And so now when you're in a situation when life and godliness is being challenged or your beliefs or your convictions or there's temptation in life and you don't have the book right here and you don't have me sitting right next to you, I've got good news. The helper, the author of the word Is going to be living in you and he's going to bring to remembrance everything that I have taught you this is so much better this is why Jesus says it is for your benefit that I go away because now the author is going to live inside of you and so you think to yourself imagine again going back to school teacher says Today is not an open book test, but you think to yourself, no problem, because I have the author of the book living inside of me. That's never gonna happen in school, but imagine if that was the case. You forgot your math book, you forgot your history book. The author is not sitting there next to you whispering to you answers, but you say, I got this because the author of my history book lives and dwells inside of me. That's good news. That's good news, and that's what the Holy Spirit does, what we're going to see in the text today. So I'd like to pray, and we're going to be opening up into the Gospel of John and going through uh, this uh, text that's going to lead us into a lot, and part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into all truth, Uh, and so we're going to pray that He would do that today for us, that He would help us to know Him more than we do uh, even before we got here, before these last few weeks as we've been looking at Him, uh, that He would help us know Him today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you firstly gave us your Son to die in our place, to purchase for us eternal life and salvation, but also purchase for us the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is only through the cross that we can have this incredible gift, the author of life, The author of your word, living and dwelling inside of us. It's only because the cross and the blood of Christ has cleansed us that makes it possible for holy God to live inside of sinful Joby. It's because you've cleansed my sin from me. And yes, my, my body still sins but you've created this broken-down, run-down temple to be cleansed from the inside. And because of that, now your spirit can dwell in me. And he can teach me and he can lead me into all truth and he can bring to remembrance everything that you've taught, everything that I've learned over the last 24 years of following after you. Many, many things that have been put in my mind, scriptures that have been memorized, Sermons I've heard, books I've read. You've given me your spirit to be able to go into my heart and bring those things to remembrance when I need them. And I'm so grateful that that is his job. Because I just, my flesh, my desires, temptation just easily goes after the things that are right in front of me. I get easily distracted. But you've given me a helper. I thank you for his help. And so, Holy Spirit, we do ask as our helper that you would lead us into your truth this morning. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in the Gospel of John, we're gonna be in chapter 14, uh, kind of, Getting to the tail end of this, we're going to be in uh, verse 25, going through 31. Jesus says, and remember the setting here, this is at the Last Supper, in what we call the, the upper room, the night before he died. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And I've told you before it takes place. I'm I'm telling you this all ahead of time so that when it does take place, you can believe. So I'm letting you know. He's basically saying, "I'm, I'm prophesying this to you. And I will no longer talk much with you because the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. And that's speaking of Satan. That's another word for him. We know that God is the obvious ruler of all creation, but when we're talking about the worldly system, uh, Satan is considered the ruler of this world when, it cons- uh, when we talk about this worldly system that we're in, this worldly uh, sinful system. This ruler is coming, but he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded. He might, Satan might be the ruler of this world, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father, And he says, rise, let us go from here. So Jesus here gives us more detail about the Holy Spirit and his role in our life. He says that the Holy Spirit's gonna teach us all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you, which is a very cool promise. Part of the Spirit's job description is to teach us all things. We have the teacher living in us. It's not just up to us to be good students. How smart we are, how good our memories are, how much we comprehend. No, the teacher lives inside of us and it is his job to teach us, regardless of how well you read or write or comprehend. He is the one who teaches us. And then he brings to remembrance all the things that he teaches to us. This is a pretty cool deal here. The helper says in verse 26, and the Father will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So, what we do is we store up God's word and his promises in our hearts. We, we ingest them, we take them in. We hear them being preached or in sermons or we read them in the Bible or in good gospel books. We hear promises being told to us from friends over a coffee when we're struggling with things. So we intake God's word and promises. And in the moments when God's word isn't in front of us, or maybe we're in a situation we have to make a split-second decision, you're in a place of temptation, and you don't, can't just hit pause. Remember like in Saved by the Bell? Remember Zach would, you know, time out. And then everything would pause. And we don't have that opportunity to do that when we're in a place of temptation. Time out, okay, I'm gonna go open up the Bible and figure out what I'm gonna do. I'm in this place of temptation and I'm about to make a bad choice, but okay, now I can continue. No, we have to make split decisions, we have to make quick decisions. And so, in those moments when we don't have that in front of us, what we do have is the Holy Spirit who can recall all the things that we've been taught. Everything for life and godliness. He is the one who brings to remembrance when we are in those moments of weakness or fear or temptation. How many of you, uh, adults, you love paying your insurance every month? You just you, that's your, like your favorite bill to pay. Oh, I get to pay my insurance again. This is me so great. This is going to come in handy one of these days. I can't wait to pay this. No one No one looks forward to that. Most of the times we're going, I can't stand it. I can't believe I have to pay this every month. And we do it. We do it every single month. Car insurance, health insurance. And most times we just, we grumble. Or maybe you're looking through your, your bank statement and you're going, oh, and then there's that one. Hey. You just, we don't like paying our insurance. But how many of you have been in at some point, whether it's auto or health, you've been in a position where you're actually quite thankful that you were paying your insurance. You know, a a bill would have been $40,000, $50,000, $120,000, medical bills we know can go through the roof. Auto insurance, you rear-end somebody, you don't have insurance. I mean, there's these times when we're actually thinking, I'm actually glad I stayed up on my insurance. This is how it is, in many ways, with God's word. In Psalm 119, verse nine through 11, David asks, how can a young man keep his way pure? And this verse isn't just for young men, but young men, pay attention to this. Yet this is for all of us. How can a young man keep his way pure? Young men, do you want to keep your hearts pure? Young women, do you want to keep your hearts pure? Older men, older women, do you want to keep your hearts pure? If your answer is yes, well, you're in a great place today because I'm going to read you the answer. It's an open book test today. David says, it's by guarding it according to your word. Now, again, though, so we say, okay, so we guard with the word, but what happens when it's this this instant decision we have to make and the word is in front of us and we can't say time out? So David continues, he says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I don't want to wander. I don't want to make a bad decision when I'm in the moment. And here's, what well, David says, I have stored up your word in my heart. I've been paying my insurance every month. I'm paying it. Sometimes I'm just, I'm reading the Bible and I don't understand it. Maybe I'm rushing because I've got things to do. Sometimes I just, I do it because I have to check a box. And so sometimes, sadly, that's how we treat God's word. It's just paying our insurance. Oh, I have to read the word today. That's not how it should be, but that's sometimes how it is. But David says, I've stored it up. I've been diligent I've stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So that in the day when I am faced with temptation or with fear or with anxiety, I know that I have a deposit of God's word and promises that are stored away in my heart. Now, David doesn't say this here, but now we know also then through Jesus in the book of John That in those moments, it's the Holy Spirit who goes into that wealth of the word that's been stored in your heart. And in that moment, he brings to remembrance the things that you have stored up in your heart. You're you're paying your insurance every month and then you get in that accident. Now, thankfully, the Holy Spirit is better than most insurance agents that are just trying to get out of paying the insurance. But he says, oh, you're you're about to get in an accident. I'm gonna go into all the... all this word you've stored in your hearts, and I'm gonna bring it to remember so you can live in a godly way, that you can fight this fear, fight this temptation. So we store it in our hearts. That, that's on us. We're the ones who have to make the decision as, as Jesus' disciples. We're gonna do the diligence of paying that insurance, storing God's word in our hearts. But the good news for us is that when we are in a place where our purity is gonna be maybe compromised, or that we are tempted to sin against God, we know that we have the teacher who lives in us. And he says, son, daughter, I'm gonna to bring to remembrance the word that you've stored in your heart so that you won't sin against your father in this moment. That's his job, that's what he does. It's stored up inside of us so that we won't sin against him. Our, our hearts are like a, a file cabinet. You know, I was I was actually looking at my file cabinet the other day, and after a few seconds, I thought I'm not going to look at my file cabinet because my file cabinet is just a mess. I've got a file cabinet in my office, and I was looking for something. And I'm going. I don't know. I have I have a folder. I seriously have a folder. You're going to love this. I have a folder that's called important stuff, <laughs> and that's the biggest folder. <laughs> And it's kind of the only folder that's got stuff in it. So so it's really not a file cabinet because it's just a big folder. And I was looking for something and there's like everything is in there. Anything that I think is important goes in that folder. Right, so thankfully we have this file cabinet in our hearts and sometimes we're in a place of temptation or sin or fear. We don't know where we stored that word. It's just somewhere buried in our hearts. But thankfully the Holy Spirit's job is I know exactly where that's filed away in your hearts. Remember, remember that verse that you read eight months ago and you thought it was really cool and you circled it? And I'm going, no, I don't remember that one. I don't remember where I put that. I, I read that, I don't remember reading that. The Holy Spirit says, I know exactly where you put that. He goes in and he brings out that random verse, that random truth that maybe someone spoke to you over coffee three years ago. You've forgotten it, you don't know where you filed that thing. It's just in the file cabinet of God's Word and it's just filled. And it's just one big file cabinet, and that's it. But the Holy Spirit says, I know what you need right now. I know exactly what you need right now. You're in this place of temptation. I remember there was a time you were sitting with your friend at Starbucks, and, and he shared that thing to you. I'm going to bring that to remembrance because you need that right now. And then you just, it comes to mind. You go, I, never, I don't remember hearing that. but It's a vague remembrance, but now I see how that makes sense. It's, it's like saving it for a rainy day. And you don't do that on purpose. You're just dumping everything in the file cabinet. But the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to remembrance everything that Jesus has taught you. This is good news. This is good news. And you see some of Jesus' motive here in this text. Why does he give us the Spirit? Why does he give us this better than an open book test type of a gift? He says in verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'll come to you. And if you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father's greater than I. And now I've told you before all this stuff takes place. I'm telling you ahead of time that I'm going away. I'm gonna let you know everything that's gonna happen. I'm gonna tell you ahead of time, so that, circle that. It's two little words, so that. Here's why he's telling us everything ahead of time so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now, this isn't just for even this particular instance. God's Word tells us a lot of things are going to happen. You will face trials. You will suffer for my namesake. There's a lot of things that he says are going to happen, and it's all so that we would believe when it takes place. You you find yourself in temptation or or fearing things. You you know, I, I knew this would happen. God's Word said this would happen. So I shouldn't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon me, as if something strange is happening to me. No, Jesus said ahead of time, this is gonna happen to all of his followers. So he says, in this particular story, he says, I'm going away, I'm going where you can't go, but don't think I abandoned you. Don't think the ruler of this world won when you see me hanging on the cross. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. That's what we saw last week in last week's sermon. I'm telling you these things ahead of time so that when it does take place, you may believe. He doesn't want us confused, wandering and wondering in life, going through life like it's a closed book test and just crossing our fingers that we're making the right decisions for life and godliness. He doesn't want that for us. No, he says, I'm telling you ahead of time and I'm giving you the spirit and this is all for your benefit so that you don't wander and you don't wander. And he even says, and we're gonna get to this in a few moments, he says, so let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I'm telling you this all ahead of time so you wouldn't be afraid. This is the plan. The last few weeks, I've been talking with my my baseball players, my, my fight club boys that we meet once a week, and um, a couple of them come from a church background, most of them don't, and um, I've been talking to them about the idea of God wanting to be known by us. He actually wants us to know him. I say, boys, you know, if, if there's a God out there, uh, do you think he wants us to know him? And all of them are like, yeah, probably coach, and so I ask him, I say, well, how can you find God then? If, if, if he's out there, and even if, you know, maybe he doesn't, maybe he's neutral with whether or not he cares for us to know him, how can you find God? And they kind of are stumped, you know, and they have a couple basic answers. And, but then I ask him, I said, now, do you really think, can, can you find God? Can you find God? And one of them, he's actually not from a, a church background at all, he says, no, you, you can't. You can't find God if you look for God because if you could find God, then he wouldn't be God. Like I, He goes, I'm not smart enough to find God. I said, that's exactly right. That's right, so how can we know God? And so I, I give this, some exa- this example, I've used this example uh, a few times over the years, the, the hide and seek example. When my boys were you know, four and two or whatever it was, uh, we'd play hide and seek. And so I asked my Fight Club boys, I said, do you think that when Mike and Liam were four and two, do you think if we played hide and seek, do you think I could probably hide forever and they would never find me? And they're like, well, yeah. And I said, well, how come? He said, because you're older than them, you're smarter than them at that point, and so you could probably hide forever. I said, yeah, I, I, I think I could. I said, but do you think that's what I want to do? I said, well, no. So, what is it I do? So, so kids, you ever play hide and seek with your, your parents? You ever done that? No. No, oh, I'm gonna talk to your parents later. <laughs> deprived childhood <laughs> kids do you win when you play hide-and-seek do you find your parents eventually yeah, yeah you do how do you find them skill, skill? <laughs> I got skills <laughs> so, do you, you just look everywhere you look everywhere this is great so remember when you're really little though do your parents sometimes like like I'm a, here's what I used to do I would hide behind the curtain Right, But if I'm hiding behind the curtain, the curtain's like this, and then it goes like this. Or maybe my feet stick out from behind the curtain. Do your parents ever do something like that? Or or maybe if they're hiding really good, and you're in the room, and then you hear your dad go, psst, hey, over here, right? They kind of give you, do they ever give you hints? They give you hints, right? No, No? oh, I'm gonna talk to your parents afterwards too. (laughs) Your parents never give you hints, really? (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm going to send out an email to all you parents. We need a parenting workshop, and uh, <laughs> chances are, many kids have their their parents help them out. Maybe give them a few hints. The reason is is because the parents want to be found by their kids because they love their kids. They want to play with their kids. They're not really trying to hide forever from their kids. They wanna be found because they love their kids. And so I told the boys, I told my baseball boys, there are ways that God wants, he, he lets you find him. And so I give them assignments. I say, I want you guys to go this week and I want you to think of ways. How has God revealed himself? How does he let us know? And the reality is, is the only true God in this world is a God who cannot be found. He's a God who must be revealed. And there's a difference there. I told them, I said, if you were just to be dropped out in a desert and and just wandering around, because that's what we're talking about, right? Wandering and wandering here. Jesus is saying, I don't, you're not being left as orphans. I'm telling you these things so that you can know and believe. But if we were just to wander and wander around a desert, and I said to the boys, I said, what's, what's the most basic thing you do when you first meet someone? They said, ask him their name. I said, exactly. So if you're just to wander a desert, just plopped anywhere in this world, and you're wandering, and I said, you've got, you've got 10 years to come back and tell me God's name. How are you going to do that? And they start kind of thinking through and realizing that If they're going to know who God is, God has to reveal himself to them. And I ask them, you know, how do you you make decisions for for life, morals, right and wrong? And sometimes they'll say, well, you just know, you just know, coach. I'll say, but if you just know, and you're the one who declares, then what does that make you? And they just, they think about it and they go, well, I guess that makes me God. I said, that's right but are you God? And they said, no, I'm not God, coach. Yeah, I "I agree, you're not God. And so I said, so if we believe that there is maybe a God out there, we have to know that we can't just go find him. He has to reveal himself to us. You, church, on your own, you cannot just find God. He's smarter than you. (laughs) The only way you're gonna find him is if he lets you find him. If he gives you hints if he somehow reveals himself, sticks his feet out from behind the curtain. But on your own, you can't just know God. You'll be lost trying to find him. You'll be lost just trying to find out his name. But this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. This is why this is so important that we must have the Holy Spirit if we're gonna truly know God. If we do not have the Holy Spirit, we're just gonna make stuff up about God. Well, here's what I think he is. Here's how I find him. And we're going to look all throughout the whole world and all throughout the, the news and different philosophies and all these things, and we're just going to figure out on our own, here's what I'm making God to be. But it's not going to work. He's bigger. He's smarter. And so we need a helper to teach us all things and reveal the Father to us, reveal the Son to us. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in to play with us. The one thing he wants us to see and know about God is his peace, and this is what Jesus says in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. There's a different kind of peace that you can find in this earth. You can go wander the earth and find peace, but you can't find God's peace. There's a different kind of peace that I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, the world cannot offer true peace. When the world around us is crumbling, we don't need to fear or be troubled or anxious because Jesus offers us true peace. He wants to reveal to us true peace. Now, one of the great ironies of humanity and of society is that peace in this life, worldly peace, is most often secured through violence or the threat of violence. And when I say that, I mean even uh, any kind of uh, repercussion. You know, you, you, you speed, right? There's, there's laws against speeding because we wanna keep peace. So if you speed, then there's a threat of violence against your wallet, right? If you speed, you're gonna, there's gonna be an infraction. If it's reckless driving, there's gonna be, there's a threat of violence against going to jail, right? So we keep peace in this earth, in this world, through the threat of some type of violence, some form of punishment. That's what keeps peace in this world, worldly peace. So law and order, as it's a good thing. We need law and order in order to keep peace. So we need these things. We need law and order. We need the threat of punishment and violence in order to keep peace. But law and order is also a very real existential threat of violence to anyone who would want to disrupt peace. Right? So if you want to break the law, you want to go against, there is a threat against you if you want to break peace. And this is how we keep peace. We live in general peace because of a threat of some kind of violence. Violence against your wallet, violence against jail time, uh, all kinds of things. That's how we as sinful humans live in peace in a worldly system. It is through Uh, a cause and effect. If I break peace, then this is going to happen to me. There's a tension. Peace comes at a cost. And the peace in this world is temporary and it's fickle. A couple years ago, uh, when my family, uh, we went to Israel, we were walking around Jerusalem. And anytime we were driving around or um, spending time uh, in the Palestinian areas, Bethlehem and Jericho, some places up north, uh, you knew and you just felt that the region that you're in right now is like a powder keg ready to blow. The smallest little spark. And we're in some of these areas that are Palestinian and you could just, you could just feel the tension. You could feel eyes on you. We're in the old city. And the old city is like a melting pot. They've got a Muslim quarter, a Christian quarter, a Jewish quarter, and they're all in this tiny little Place in these old ancient walls, and there's security cameras everywhere. You just feel like anything, any the smallest thing could make this whole thing go, and we've been seeing that the last few weeks. That it's a powder keg. Now, at many of the holy sites in Israel, there's nine specific ones, but there's kind of there's more. There's what they call the status quo. Status quo is an agreement among multiple. Um, Christian denominations, as well as Jews and Muslims, that they keep a just a very basic status quo of peace for the sake of the protection of these holy sites that all three of these religions revere. All right, so uh, I've got a photo of one such place. You guys can see this up on the screen here. Uh, I took this photo on our trip. This is a very rare site in Israel. Actually, it's a very rare site in the whole world. I think it's only one of only two places where you're gonna see this. Because in this photo and on this plot of land, you can see the structures of the three largest religions in the world. This is the location that is known as King David's tomb, right? It's not, we're not exactly sure if this is really where King David is buried, uh, but many believe that he is. There's some historic references. There's definitely some tombs that are underneath the surface. Um, It also happens to be the traditional location of the Last Supper, This is where the upper room was. And there's a lot of historic evidence that shows that this is the actual place where the upper room was. And that's where we are at in our story today. We're in the upper room. Now interestingly, this isn't the only time the disciples in this John chapter 14, it's not the only time the disciples are in the upper room. They return to the upper room after Jesus dies and is raised. And they're also in the upper room on Pentecost, which is 50 days after his resurrection. And it's on Pentecost, in about a month and a half, or almost two months from this text, in this very room where the disciples are actually gonna receive the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Right now in John 14, he said, I'm gonna send you a helper. And he's telling them this in this room. And almost two months later, they're in that room again and they receive the helper. They receive the promise, the teacher, their advocate, the one who's gonna live and dwell in them and teach them everything that Jesus taught them and bring to remembrance everything that Jesus taught them. It's in this very room they're gonna receive the Spirit. And just as Jesus is telling them about that Spirit, about 50 three days later after this, they're gonna receive that spirit. Now, what does Peter say on that day of Pentecost? Okay, so 52-ish days or whatever after John 14, where we're at today. So what Jesus is talking about, in a little over 50 days, Peter's gonna be back in this room, and he's gonna say this when he receives the Holy Spirit. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch, David, David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And I'm just thinking if David's really buried here, they're in the upper room, they know that David's tomb is like right on the other side of the wall or right below them or something and he receives the Holy Spirit and he says, our patriarch David was he died and he was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So keep in mind the very words of Jesus that we're looking at today were spoken at this very spot. Now there's another picture of what it looks like inside the upper room. Now this is not original, but this is the space. But we're able to go in this space. Don't know what the building looked like at that time. But this is where the church was born. And the next picture, that's my family. Uh, We're standing underneath a window and the window also is not original from the first century but uh, that window from what they've said is that somehow throughout just kind of the passing of time and traditions passed down, they believe that there was a window that was there uh, in the upper room, and so over the years as the building has been sort of modified and changed, they've always maintained a window in that spot, and so somehow this gives you sort of a little bit of insight that though there might be not be those arches that we saw in the previous picture, but just looking at that window you're thinking that's a window that the church, the very first church looked out of at some point. And just for your curiosity, the next uh, photo is uh, David's tomb. Um, This is a a place of Jewish worship. It feels a little weird kind of doing selfies like in a (laughs) place where uh, Jews are worshiping, but uh, you kind of see a a tomb, um, uh, a a little uh, kind of a coffin casket thing. There's nothing in there. Uh, The actual um, grave sites are are below, uh, but they have that there. It's just sort of like a a touch point. Um, The the men are on the side that we're on. The ladies were on the other side of that petition. now going back to the first picture, um, I want you to see that in this, I'll show you how this works, is in the lower court there, you can't see the, the ground, but in that lower courtyard, that's the entrance to King David's tomb, and that's operated by the Jews. Now the Muslims also see David as one of their prophets, in a similar way to how they also see Jesus as a prophet. Uh, so both Muslims and Jews considered the tomb of David as a holy site to their own religion. And so the closest pillar, that that large pillar that's, you know, there's two pillars, one on the left, one on the right, the one that's more in the foreground, that pillar is a prayer tower for Muslims that is built on the roof of this uh, Jewish place of worship. That's weird, right? Jewish place of worship, but then a prayer dome. So uh, the Jews are allowed to go into the, the tomb of David, but that's their place, and if the Muslims wanna pray at the tomb of David, they have to go on the roof to, the, uh, to that pillar. And this is part of their status quo. They're saying, hey, we both want this place, so how can we work it out? So they've got the status quo piece, so there is that dome on the top. Now in the background, you barely see that little uh, background, another dome there. That is a Christian church on the same location that commemorates the upper room. Because they're all on the same spot. This is all on the same property. Now, on top of that bell tower, there's a weather vane. You probably can't see it there, uh, but on the top of the weather vane, there is a rooster. Now, if you ever lived in the Midwest, you might not think anything about a weather vane with a rooster on top because it's a very common farmland decoration, but it's not very common in Israel. Unless, of course, your weather vane is erected on top of the spot where Peter denied Jesus three times before a rooster crowed. Because remember that this spot, the upper room, that's where Peter was told, you're going to deny me three times. Interestingly, the reason the bell tower is actually so far away from the actual site, because the upper room is right there, and that, that tower is a little bit beyond, it was built there out of respect for the Jews and the Muslims. They agreed to put the bell tower far enough away so that the shadow of the Christian bell tower would never casts itself upon the site of King David's tomb. And Christians also, of course, revere the spot of King David's tomb. Now this is all for the sake of peace, but this is worldly peace. Even with a vested interest from all sides, Christians, Muslims, and Jews, in preserving the holiest sites on the planet, even a status quo of worldly peace, none of that can actually bring true peace. These last few weeks in Israel, we have seen that, that even with this vested interest from everyone, we still can't have peace. Real peace as legislated or offered by the world is never possible, even in the very land and the very location where Jesus himself walked and even spoke these actual words. Real peace is not capable from the world. But Jesus offers peace the world can't offer, a peace that we can have even when we are being threatened. We don't have to lower ourselves to the world's ways. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I won't talk with you much longer, for the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. But I do as my Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So this ruler of the world, this other term for Satan, speaking of being the ruler of the the worldly system, of which Satan the deceiver, who prowls around like a lion, seeking to kill and destroy through worldly influence, this ruler is coming, his This is a reference to the fact that Satan is about to deliver his own magnum opus. His greatest work is upon us. This is what the devil has been waiting for his whole existence, is to see God killed. His greatest work is just a few hours away He's going to about to enter into Judas Iscariot in order to betray Jesus and have the incarnate God murdered. This is what he's been waiting for. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. He has no claim on me. Remember, Jesus told them, I'm telling you all this ahead of time so that when it happens, you wouldn't be afraid. You'd know that this was not his plan. This is my plan. I'm doing this, this is not his magnum opus, this is my magnum opus, this is my greatest work that I'm ever gonna do is dying on the cross. This isn't the enemy's greatest accomplishment, it's mine. And I'm telling you ahead of time so that you would not wonder or wander, but that you would believe. So don't be afraid, he has no claim on me. I'm not falling prey to his plan. I'm doing what my Father has commanded me to do. Church, the world is passing away. It is fading. It offers peace and comfort and joy, but it's all false. It's not real. The enemy is at work in this world, and we try to hold on to things and preserve things, but they're just a mist, and they're gonna fade. And he told us all of this ahead of time that we will face these trials, that this world will fade away. He told us ahead of time so that we would know that he is the one who is in control. We wouldn't look at the world crumbling and say, gosh, God didn't make something very good. No, he told us ahead of time, look, the world, as you know it, is going to crumble and fall. So now that it is, we're going, oh, well, he said this was going to happen. Clearly he's the one in control. Sometimes it feels like the ruler of this world is in control, but no, we know that he is because he told us all this stuff ahead of time. We have nothing to fear. We don't have to have trouble in our hearts. Looking forward a little bit to John 18, verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting in the way that the world does, lowering themselves to the way that the world's seeks after peace and comfort through fighting. They would be fighting so that I wouldn't be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The very place that Jesus spoke these words is being shaken, constantly being shaken under the threat of war. But we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God as a consuming fire. The psalmist says in Psalm 2, why do nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens, God, he laughs. He laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he'll speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them, the nations, with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. We're in a world that is crumbling before our eyes, a world that will perish along with all of its human institutions. The most powerful kingdoms and empires on this planet could never last. They won't last. The greatest empires have fallen. The Roman Empire, the Russian Empire, the Mongolian Empire. All the greatest empires, even King David's United Kingdom of Israel, is no longer. They've all fallen. This earth itself, as we know it and as we see it, we will undergo a massive renovation and reconstruction under the King of Kings. Psalm 102 says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. But even they will perish. But you, God, you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. That's us. We have a God whose years have no end. A God who will remain even when even the earth passes away. And the children of his servants will dwell secure. We will be secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Speaking to the Lord. They will perish, the earth, the heavens, but you, God, will remain. Your years have no end. God wants you to know him, not just his name or a few attributes, but know him in a way where you will have his peace and truly experience your citizenship in his kingdom, your solidarity in his kingdom while living as aliens and sojourners in this temporary lowercase k kingdom. Church, we are just passing through And I mentioned a few moments ago that worldly peace is protected in a sense by the threat of violence. Well, the peace that Jesus offers is also protected by violence. But it's not the threat of incarceration or financial penalty or war. No, the peace that God offers is protected by the violence that was done on the cross. The murder of Jesus the nails in his hands, the broken body, the spilled blood, that violence is what protects the peace that he offers us. And his blood will never lose its power, and therefore his peace will last forever. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have as we close this section, John fourteen, and close this sermon, um, I'll be honest. This uh, these next these last few words here uh, are a little haunting to me. He says, "Rise, let us go from here." He's basically saying it's time to leave the security of the upper room, reclining and leaning upon each other, in relational intimacy, breaking bread, and even more. The rising and going from the place of the last three years of living together, personal closeness, learning and watching. Jesus signals now to them, it's time to go. Get up. Let's go from here. The time is now. I'm leaving. You will soon be as sheep among wolves. But don't let your hearts be troubled, nor be afraid, because I leave you with peace that the world can't offer, and I'm sending you a helper out of fear and troubled hearts, we, we quickly lower ourselves to seek out peace in the same way the world does. We aim to find peace through, through violent means. We become passive aggressive, We're silent treatments. We threaten. We withhold. We do all these things. Most of us wouldn't use physical weapons to harm others in order to get peace, but we have m- plenty of other weapons that we use to secure peace in our life. Gossip. If you can gossip about someone and make them look bad, it makes you look better. Name-calling, bitterness, greed, love of money, love of comfort, uh, politics, jealousy, strife, holding grudges, unforgiveness, guilt trips. We have all kinds of weapons that we used in order to get peace, but it's worldly peace and it doesn't last. These weapons do war against other image bearers. And we wield these weapons in order to gain peace in our lives, to get things the way that we want them to be. But we know that this world, as it is, is not our own. We know that our king's kingdom is not of this world. And so we don't fight. We should not fight as the world fights. And we don't fight for what the world fights for. But we seek to know and love Jesus Christ, the one who has taken upon violence on his own life so that we can have the peace of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we long to know your true peace. We're often like People wandering the earth, sojourners, pilgrims, but we're, we're trying to find, we're trying to find a, a place that we can call home on this planet. We're trying to fit in somewhere. We're trying to establish kind of a, a kingdom, a self-kingdom, where we get to be around people that we're like, people that like us, where things operate and happen the way that we think they should happen. We try to make this temporary place that's passing away, we try to make this some kind of utopia. We want everything perfect. We forget that we are pilgrims, that you're not of this world and we're not of this world. The world is passing away and the ruler of this world has already been defeated. He thought he was gonna have this great victory, this military victory when he put your son on the cross only to find out that he just played right into your hands. Help us to not make our home and set our hearts and have our treasure be in this world. But rather our hope would come from the heavens. You who are sitting in the heavens laughing at the ways of the world. But that we would run to you. And we would seek your peace. The peace that you offer that the world cannot offer. Help us. And we know that this is only possible through the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in us and reveals this peace to us that brings us before this peace that goes into the file cabinet of our hearts and brings scripture and truth and promises to our minds that bring us this very peace that the world or anything in the world can offer. Help us to know your true peace. We thank you. Thank you for your patience with us, your work within us, your love for us. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.